This is the Eco Business Podcast. I'm Robin Hicks. This year's food crisis, triggered by the Ukraine conflict and exacerbated by climate change, has hit Asia hard. What gaps has the crisis exposed in the region's food supply chains, and can they be filled? Over the past five months since Russian tanks rolled over the Ukrainian border, the prices of cereals, dairy, meat, sugar and oils have skyrocketed and supply chains come under serious strain. Indonesia banned palm oil exports, Malaysia curbed chicken exports, a heat wave led to India curbing wheat exports, harvests in Africa, Australia and Europe have been hit by droughts and floods. Almost everywhere, shortages and rising prices have hit the pockets of the middle classes and left millions unable to afford food. Though disastrous, the crisis has been a wake-up call to find solutions to food security, with growing calls to strengthen local agriculture, reduce food waste and increase efforts to fight climate change. Joining the EcoBusiness podcast to talk about the food crisis and solutions to address it is Dexter Huerto Jr., Sales Development Manager, Asia-Pacific for engineering firm Danfoss. Huerto leads Danfoss's industrial refrigeration business for Asia-Pacific and India. Welcome to the podcast, Dexter. Hey, uh, Robin. It's uh, nice uh, uh, talking to you again. It's, uh, I think, a few years uh, since we last uh, sat on the table. Indeed, we talked about a, a similar but but different topic and, and how things have changed in those few years since we last spoke. So now we're in the middle of a food crisis, um, which has hit Asia hard. And the first question I wanted to ask you, Dexter, is what are the sort of challenges that you've noticed play out in Asian food supply chains in recent months? Um, yeah, thanks, Robin. Um, I think that's a very valid question. And I would like to take it as a, as a consumer. I visit the supermarket, you know, every few times a week, um, and also the wet markets. And I think the visit in the supermarkets tells us a fair bit of, you know, what we what is actually happening on the surface, right? So I think as a consumer, the first thing that I would notice, obviously, would be, um, you know, things are a bit more expensive, whether it's a staple food or even processed food, you know, prices have been going up. Secondly, what I would notice every time I visit the, 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 the supermarket is that, for example, I think a classic case in Singapore, poultry, right? So poultry, where usually it comes from one country, now we couldn't find it anymore. So now it's, you know, we have other sources of, of, of poultry. And thirdly, you know, especially in supermarkets, right? You know, the refrigerated and the frozen food section aisles are you know, taking more and more space. It, it's growing over time, I guess. Now, now, I think these observation I, is really tangible, you know, outcomes of uh, the current market conditions and the challenges that we are facing, you know, whether it's, you know, we say macroeconomics, you know, politics, climate, or are these just the post, you know, pandemic realities that we're facing across into this article, right, and this economist where she was able to succinctly summarize, um, you know, whatever we're facing now in terms of the food crisis as the big three C, right, those three C's are, um, I think, if you could guess it, first one obviously would be COVID, right? So you could say this was the first, you know, the, the, the post-pandemic shock that we're having. And I think this is the first global shock that really puts in context how important food is, how important food production is, and how vulnerable we are. Um, the second one would be crisis, right? And, and these are, you know, the wars, um, you know, political turmoils greatly affected uh, international trade. If you think about it, you know, you, you, we have now trade restrictions with, some, with, with countries, embargoes with countries. And this has you know, a lot of impact when it comes to global food production. And, and the last one would be climate. Um, and, and while I think the first two points, you know, COVID and, and crisis, 
you know, are hopefully, I guess, short term, or maybe you could say COVID is behind us, um, or medium term and temporary, I think climate is something that will be more lasting and, and, and a bit more unpredictable. As we talk now, Dex, so we're in the middle of a heat wave sitting here in, in Singapore. Um, yeah. And that, that heat, obviously, it's been linked to climate change. It's being felt across the region from countries from um, India all the way through to Southeast Asia, right? And I want to ask you, these challenges, you mentioned the C, uh, three Cs there, COVID, crisis, and climate, which is really interesting. So what do these challenges tell us about the health and sustainability of food supply chains in the region currently? Have we learned anything from the 2008 crisis? These challenges are very much, these are not local challenges, right? These are not something that Asia is experiencing. No, this is, this is something that the region is facing, but this is actually a, rea- a reality that, you know, you know, globally, I think all of the countries, you know, all of the nations are facing, but in different magnitudes, right? Maybe some of the more developed countries are facing in a different way, while some of the more developing countries, you know, are experiencing something else, something worse, I would say. Um, but, but if you look at, let's say, food production as, you know, um, at an industrial scale, I mean, as a country level, right? Um, food production really is highly and globally interconnected, which means that you know, if we have a disruption, let's say from a raw material, and uh, I think a good example would be shortage of wheat. I think that's now the main headlines that we are seeing. Um, if we have a shortage of wheat, that's not only meaning that we're getting less bread. <laughs> shortage of wheat has rippling effects across the, the entire food production, right? Wheat, uh, you have corn, you have soybeans, you know, and all of these are used, for example, for animal feedstock, right? We need them to grow uh, uh, pigs, we need to grow pork, you know, we need to uh, you know, get access to beef, poultry, and fish. So obviously, you know, without sufficient animal feed, right, there will be, you know, a reduction in production. And, um, and based on supply and demand, this will cascade and eventually have an effect in terms of our food prices. So I think circling back to one of your questions, right? So I think these challenges tells us that, you know, food security and independence, while it is, um, you, know, you know, difficult to achieve in the short term, right? It is not something that you can solve in, in a one year, two year, three year time horizon, right? It needs to be the folks in the government in terms of policy, needs to be done now. And also, you know, also regional cooperation is also one thing. Now, you know, going back to your question in terms of, you know, how we have fared versus 2008, um, that was a couple of decades back. But I think the learnings that we have from there, and I was reading an article about how rice, right, how rice was one of the main struggles for during the 2008 crisis, food crisis. One of the big, big challenges there, countries should not panic. Right, because if you panic, um, if countries panic because of of a food shortage, there tends to be an effect in terms of, of of increasing prices or or acting irrationally. Right. So so while we have learned a lot from the 2008 crisis, I think now with the change of, of research and development, the change in the overall landscape of how agriculture, for example, is grown, I think there's a lot of things that we are put us in a better position. You mentioned there the interconnectedness of the food crisis. It's yeah. interesting, wasn't it? The, the conflict in Ukraine, we've seen, you mentioned wheat. Um, Ukraine was a huge supplier of wheat to the rest of the world. Um, and so what happened in Ukraine certainly has had far-reaching consequences also in Asia. Now I want to ask you again about climate change, Dexter. How are the effects of climate change exacerbating strains on food supply in Asia? You know, when I when I hear you asking that question, uh, it, it kind of gives me an idea of of uh, of a coin, where there's basically two sides of that, right? Um, if you look at food production, on one side of the coin, 
um, we we have had you know unprecedented droughts, right? You mentioned it's a far, uh, in the start of the sh- in sort of the podcast, you know, heat waves, and I can definitely feel it. But if you imagine in, in countries like Thailand, where there's you know huge uh, uh, impact in terms of crop yield because of longer droughts, um, if you look at, for example, um, rising sea levels, Vietnam, the Mekong Delta. So rising uh, uh, sea levels affects the salinity of water. And if, it's effect- if it affects the salinity of water, it affects the overall growth and puts the, for example, the fish or anything that they grow at risk. So, so those other things that are, 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 are uh, being impacted in terms of this climate change. And, and we have, you would say, the traditional typhoons that we have in the region. And in all of this, um, we somehow attribute to climate change, which in turn put food production at risk. Right, and that's a given, right? You you have all these climatic conditions affects the growth uh, patterns of food that goes into production. Um, but on the same coin, on the other side of that same coin, and there was an interesting study that was published uh, by the UNFAO, and it was published there. But I think it was uh, it was that the study was done by another party. But in that study, it points out that global food production actually contributes more than a third to greenhouse gas emissions. Right, so it's from the land use of agriculture, it's from rearing livestock. Um, you have refrigeration, right? You have cold chain. You have uh, changing dietary preference, right? Now, you know, a lot of consumers wants to buy, I don't know, maybe fancy strawberry from Japan and they want to bring it to somewhere in Asia. So, so food gets to travel longer distances and you need refrigeration in one, in one form or another. And basically that adds the footprint of climate change. So, so on that side of the coin, we have food production as one of the major contributors of climate change. So while the instinctive solution, I guess, to solve food security is produce more, right? If there's a lack, you have to produce more. We somehow now realize that, you know, if we have an insuffi- uh, you know, inefficient um, uh, food production system, um, this will also just add to the burden of climate change. So specifically for Asia, just going back to that point, you know, we lose a lot of the, 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 the food that we produce on the first stage of food production on the farm level. Right. Um, and this is what we call food loss, whereas for, for developing countries, oh, sorry, for developed countries, we call it food waste. So, so producing, processing food, preserving food, requiring refrigeration. If we do it efficiently, this basically helps reduce energy inputs, thereby reducing carbon emissions. Some really good points there, Dexter. Yeah, the double-edged sword of climate change that you mentioned there, that agriculture contributes massively to greenhouse gas emissions. I think it's something like 29% of greenhouse gas emissions, correct me if I'm wrong, come from um, agriculture, but also agriculture is affected by climate change, right? So yields are under threat as we're witnessing now, um, heat waves. Let's talk about solutions. So what are the sort of uh, solutions that governments and indeed corporations can use to build more resilience into their food supply chains, Dexter? If countries really want to focus on, on a resilient you know, supply chain, food supply chain, um, I think it's very important that we look at the entire perspective from farm to fork, right? So you know, in Danfoss, we like to call it farm to fork, but basically it's just from the farm level all the way to supermarkets or wet markets, all the way to the consumers, right? So we have to look at the entire perspective. We should not just focus on one part of the food chain, right? We have to look at the entire chain. And in, in, in Asia Pacific, you know, I think what we have is, you know, really agricultural region, right? We started off agriculturally, you have Thailand, you have Vietnam. So I think while there are different countries and different agricultural potential and, and obviously challenge, uh, but I think, for example, Singapore, you have the 30 by 30. And, you know, again, it has been mentioned several times, but maybe for those who haven't heard about 30 by 30, um, it's basically how do we produce 30% of Singapore's nutritional needs by 2030? 
and that's uh, I would say that's that's eight years from now. Uh, so that's a very strong initiative, a, a huge endeavor for Singapore. Um, and if you look at Singapore, you have very scarce scarce land, and you don't have a lot of agricultural resources. But what this country has is it has the ability and has the you know financial capacity to really have that advanced agricultural practices that in most cases is the first of its kind in the region, right? So for example, you have you know, large industrial vertical farming or recirculated aquaculture systems um, and with, with the general purpose of how can we reduce the dependence of, of, of imports, right? We cannot, we cannot you know, fully move away from imports, but how do we reduce our reliance? And um, Thailand, Thailand, I guess, is, is a very good example. A huge portion of their GDP is tagged into agriculture. So for example, Thailand is really focusing on, on small businesses, on medium businesses. Um, they're focusing on food innovation, um, alternative proteins, right, or, or better fertilizers. Um, and they have the right food standards and, and, and the right marketing platforms, right? And, and this all you know, adds up into the overall competitiveness of, of, of Thailand even more. And, and this also adds, obviously, resiliency in, ter- in terms of their food supply. So I think Again, just, just talking not so much on Danvos, but talking about what I see in the government, in, in, in local governments and also in corporation. I think these things, uh, these are the two things that stand out uh, that, that can be copied and should be, I guess, uh, exchanged um, uh, within uh, the neighboring countries. Now, Danvos, um, yeah, as I mentioned, the part of the business that you work on is refrigeration and the cold chain, which is hugely important to keep food fresh and prevent uh, food waste, right? But that itself doesn't come without challenges. For example, the carbon footprint of refrigerating that um, that cold chain. But as you mentioned, the focus at Danfoss at the moment is on ensuring there is efficiency of that cold chain, right? So the, the, the carbon footprint is minimized. In our industry, we, we, are, we are starting to see some, some, some changes in terms of, of, of customer preference as far as you know, how do we build our products. We ultimately, at the end, we partner with, with, with companies to make sure that they, I think, number one, how do they comply with specific regulations, right? And number two is that how can we be of an advantage to them? Because at the end of the day, they are also competing with other, with other customers. For example, um, as I mentioned, the cold chain. So our, our products is, is integral for the success of our customers within the refrigeration industry. Okay, okay, great stuff. Now, looking to the future, um, a final question for you. What are the food supply chain strains that we've seen in Asia recently telling us, telling you about the region's shop preparedness? I wouldn't say that the region is not fully prepared, right? I think, I think there are programs, initiatives by, by countries, as I mentioned, um, which were, were thought of or probably developed before the pandemic. Um, what I would try to counter um, or, or answer that question is, is the region, was the region not prepared? I mean, the region was not prepared for a shock of this magnitude. I think right. that's the main challenge that we have right now. Again, we're just trying to weather the, the three Cs, uh, the COVID crisis and climate, and then it's all happening at the same time. So again, it's, it's more of the magnitude of the challenge that we are facing. And, but I, I would have to say that there's always a silver lining um, in all of the challenges that we face. Um, if you look towards the pandemic, I think one of the positive change coming from that, you know, is that you know there was a there was there was massive and fast adoption towards digitalization, such as for example e-commerce, and I'm not talking about buying electronics online, but I'm really talking about how we buy commodities, how we buy food, how we buy groceries, how we buy perishable you know items, right? 
And I think because of this boom, you know, a lot of the infrastructure had to follow, right? You know, we have a lot more now online stores that are, you know, doing same day deliveries for food. And, you know, this had to increase the amount of infrastructure that we have. We have now more logistics hub. We have more cold rooms. We, we, have, we have built a lot of the infrastructure that would have taken us longer. And that's because, you know, we, 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 we had to change our buying, you know, our buying patterns the way we usually buy. Um, and this has, in a, in a way, uh, some positive and long-term effects, uh, good effects in terms of the cold chain, right? Um, and, and this, again, goes back to your previous question, right? When, you know, what are the changes that I saw? Right, we, we have a lot of customers that are using our products for cold rooms, and they're building more um, of these cold rooms just to make sure that they have you know enough capacity, enough security. Um, and going to the next point that I that we see as as a big shift um, now, energy energy cost, fuel cost is increasing drastically, um, and this is also felt by you know the the, the food manufacturers, right? Um, but if you're looking now at the higher energy costs, um, we are also seeing customers choosing energy efficient solutions to reduce their energy consumption, right? It, before, what was a carrot for them to move towards energy efficiency if the energy, you know, if, if energy prices were at a manageable level? Now they have carrot that if they are able to have a more efficient system then it would, you know, in turn, reduce their overall consumption, reducing their, you know, operating expenses. So I think these are the two things, the two silver linings that we could get somehow from, 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 from COVID. Uh, we're still fighting off of, of crisis. I think I want to be an optimist, right? So I think personally, I think food security in Asia will be better. It will continue to improve. Um, it is because of the few things that I mentioned, right? Because of now the infrastructure is, is getting built. Um, and in, I think in the past two or three years, uh, there were huge uh, but difficult step stepping stones right that 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 made us to learn um why cold chain is important why why right you know why um having efficient system is important and and i would also see that you know private sector really being more involved in capacity building um and also being more involved because they're benefiting from government initiatives such as the ones that we have in singapore right um i think the move towards uh, you know, being self-sufficient in terms of food. Um, if, for example, you know, building uh, you know vertical farms and, uh, and and these type of system is it, it depends by country, right? Maybe for Singapore, this is the, this is the future. For other countries, it may not be the future, but it doesn't mean that there there's other things that they can improve. So again, being an optimist, I think the next the next uh, coming years would would definitely be a step up in terms of how we have. Uh, fared uh, on, on, on the previous challenges from coming from COVID. And now we're, we're facing uh, a few more challenges, but I think we will get there. That's really great to hear that uh, the shocks that we're experiencing now um, will prepare us better for the shocks to come, uh, especially as, as climate change gets more severe. That's a really good place to leave it. Um, Dexter Huerto, thank you so much for joining the Eco Business Podcast. No, thanks, Robin. And it's, it's always a pleasure um, to, to talk with you. This podcast was hosted by EcoBusiness, Asia's leading media company serving the region's sustainability community. Join the conversation by visiting eco-business.com, follow us on social media, or subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening.